This sermon has been made possible by Freedom Health Ministries. If you would like to learn more about health evangelism, go to freedomhealthministries.com. If you would like to learn more about how to reverse autoimmune diseases, go to reverseautoimmune.com. So we're going to talk about how to be happy, part two. I was here a month ago, preached part one. And um, is anyone here this morning, don't lie, interested in being happy? Show of hands. Only half of you are interested in being happy? Really? Now, I know, most of, I know all of you are interested in being happy in some form or another. And um, just a quick overview of our last message, a quick recap. Um, why is this message relevant? Because a big part of the first angel's message is to give God glory. And unhappy people cannot give God glory. We also learned that happiness is not based on our circumstances, but it's based on our beliefs. It's about what we believe about our circumstances, not even so much our circumstances themselves. And I mentioned that there are six happiness principles. There's actually nine. I added three more. There's going to be a part three. And if we could fully adopt these beliefs into our hearts, I guarantee you'll be one of the happiest people you know. Summary of the last three happiness points. Point number one, I am not a victim. That's the first point. I'm not a victim. So important. Happiness belief number two, I don't exist to be happy. I exist to love and obey God. That's happiness belief number two. Number three, I exist to bless others. So foundational, super important to being happy. And also, I want to uh, address something about the first happiness belief. I'm not a victim. I didn't get time to address it the last message, but what if you were a victim? Like, what if you really went through a situation where you were 100% a victim? You did nothing to deserve what happened to you. And we often think of things that happen to young children just who are born into the wrong home, unfortunately, and have to suffer some pretty terrible things. I'm going to touch on that at the end of this message. But let's go on to happiness belief number four. You know, part of what makes the Christian life really challenging is when we're praying for something a long time and it doesn't get answered. Has anyone ever been through that? Where you've prayed for something for years, and it's just like, where is the answer? I don't see it. Not like you're praying for a Ferrari, you know? Like, you're praying for something good, something that you believe God himself would want. It could be a, a really bad financial situation, a financial difficulty. Maybe it's a really tough work situation. You're like, God, get me out of this tough work situation. Maybe it's a health challenge, and you believe, you know, God wants me to have my health. I believe that. But man, I'm praying for years. Or it's a relationship challenge. You know, God wants this relationship to be healthy. He wants it to be healed. But you're praying and you're praying and just nothing's happening. This can make the Christian experience quite bitter at times. When that answer just seems to not come. And I have a whole sermon on this, but I'm going to touch on it right now as our first happiness point. Number four, happiness belief number four. My unanswered prayers are because God is preparing to do something better than what I'm praying for. Let's see that from Scripture. Please turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 11. And this is the famous story of Lazarus that we're, I'm sure we're all familiar with. We'll start in verse 1, and we're going to read 1 through 3 just now. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, 
whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. He whom thou lovest is sick. And so there's Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Lazarus is very, very sick. And so Mary and Martha, Martha do something very logical, right? They send a message to the healer. They send a message to Jesus. And this message they sent, do you know it's essentially a prayer? When you're sending a message to Jesus, what are you doing? You're praying. You're, you're, you're trying to communicate with God. They sent a message to Jesus. Jesus, Lazarus, whom you know, whom you love, he's very sick. Please come heal him. And so what happens is, we'll pick it up in verse 6. Verse 6. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode, what, friends? Two days, still in the same place where he was. He abode two days, still in the same place where he was. So Jesus got the message, and what did he intentionally do? He delayed. He intentionally delayed the healing. And by the time, we know from later in the story, by the time Jesus got the message, I'm sorry, by the time Jesus got there, how long had Lazarus been dead? Bible trivia. Four days, that's right. He had been dead. Four days. So did Christ delay? He did. He really delayed. And so, what do you think is going through Mary and Martha's minds? Their brother's sick. They know Jesus loves this man. They sent a message, a.k.a. a prayer. Have you ever prayed for someone? For God to heal someone, by the way? You've been in that situation. This is the exact situation that they're in. They felt confident. Jesus got the message. They know it's in his power. They've seen him heal people before. It's in his power to do this. What happens? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Silence. And in their minds, they're like, why? Why? We've seen him heal people before. This is like a really good friend. This is a, a believer, a disciple of Jesus. If he, loves, if he loves us, why does he wait? Why is this? Why the silence? Let's go to verses 43 through 45. Jesus arrives on the scene. He asks to be taken to the gravesite. And it says, And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, what happened, friends? Believed on him. Believed on him. Why the silence? Why the delay? Why did Jesus wait? You know why, friends? Because Jesus was preparing to do something better than what Mary and Martha were asking him to do. Isn't that true? Can't you see this from the situation? They were asking, Mary and Martha were praying to Jesus, can you raise up our sick brother from his bed? And Jesus said, how about raising him from the dead? They said, Lord, would you please uh, restore health to his body? And he said, I want to restore health to his body, but I want to store spiritual health to many people that are here today. And maybe we find ourselves asking Christ the same question. Heal my body. He says, I want to heal your body, but I want to heal your soul too. Lord, please give us our health back. He says, I want to give you heaven back. Lord, end my suffering. Jesus says, I want to end your sinning as well. And so Jesus was planning to do something much better than what Mary and Martha were actually asking 
Christ to do. Their prayers were too narrow. They were too limited. And Jesus had a much bigger plan. I think in many situations, I see here from Scripture, a lot of the reasons why our prayers aren't answered is because they're too narrow. We can't possibly be thinking as big as God is. And God wants to do something better than actually what you're praying for. He has a a bigger picture in mind, a broader scope. Not just that. Let's go also to um, verse 15. Verse 15 says, this is Christ, And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. So somebody else needs to believe. He's actually speaking to the disciples here. And you could say he's even speaking to Mary and Martha um, uh, via his disciples. Someone else needs to believe. Not just the people around you who are watching you go through a tough situation, but you yourself need to believe more. Christ allows prayers to linger. He allows answers to prayers to linger for other people, but not just for other people, for you as well. Because we ourselves need to learn to persist in prayer. Um, I love what Eloi says in reference to the story of Elijah praying on Mount Carmel. You know, Elijah prayed seven times for that rainstorm to come. Had it rained in three and a half years, he knew it was the end of the prophecy. He knew it was God's will. God had him pray seven times for that rain to come. You know what she says on that? She says, had Elijah gotten the answer to the prayer immediately, he would have started to get the impression that he somewhat somewhat had some control over these things, that God would just answer him immediately. And God had to let him know, I'm doing powerful things through you, but it's still me that's doing them. And so sometimes God will to allow us to understand our correct position. He will allow things to linger on. And so for the Jews around them, they, they believe. So the people around you on, on looking and also for your own self. Going back to the point about the people around watching us go through a situation. Um, you know, people are not convinced of the truth of our faith when we are doing great, uh, when everything's peaceful. People are convinced of the truth of our faith when we have peace, when everything's not going great. That's what convinces people, friends. That's what people need to see. Did you know that there are many periods in Christian history where God allowed really tough things to happen to the church? Why? So that the world could see these people are, have something supernatural in them. They, their, their happiness is not based on circumstances. It's based on spiritual beliefs that they've uh, grafted into their heart because they spent time with me. And once the world sees that, they say, we don't have that. This, that's something else. That's something completely different. I'm reminded of a story of uh, actually my aunt. She went through a divorce. She divorced my uncle when I was quite young. And um, she was single for quite a while. Um, and she ended up remarrying. Unfortunately, she remarried a gentleman who was uh, at first coming to church, but after the marriage set in, wasn't really totally committed to Christ or the church. This happens sometimes, you know. Uh, when they're boyfriends, they're at church. When they're husbands, they're at home. And so um, this was the situation. And um, unfortunately, he even uh, had gotten into some occult situations and just was really uninterested. And, you know, I remember even as a kid having the impression that, you know, if anyone in the family was never going to accept Christ, it was this guy. Does anyone have someone like that in your family? You know, an uncle, a crazy uncle, or just an aunt, or just someone who's, you cannot even picture them accepting Christ. You can't picture them being a Christian. There's no way, it's too, it's too far from reality. That was this guy. The years rolled by, 
And my aunt um, ended up getting into a really difficult situation with her work where um, she had a lot of pressure on her and it was putting a lot of stress <laughs> on her. And her husband was, you know, witnessing all this as she would come home and explain the situation. Well, she ended up doing the right thing. She was just persisting in prayer. She was taking it to God in prayer. And God was giving her peace through the situation. And lo and behold, it didn't happen immediately. After weeks and months, God delivered her from that situation by giving her a promotion where she got, was, got better pay and was in a better position. And she was out of that really tough work situation. And the Lord blessed. But the most important thing that happened wasn't the promotion. Later, her husband came to her and he said, you know, I was watching you during the situation. I was imagining what I would be doing in your situation. I would be very upset as to the treatment that you were receiving at work and so forth. And he's like, I just, it just got me thinking. And he said, and something strange started happening. I just started sitting up in bed at night just thinking, what do I, I really don't know what's going to happen after I die. I have theories. I have speculations. But I really don't know. And I've just seen something in you that I, I, I can't av uh, avoid the conclusion that you have something that I don't. And so he starts talking to her. She says, would you like to start studying the Bible? They start studying the Bible. He becomes a Christian. The guy in the family who, in my mind, was like, never going to be a Christian. He became a Christian. He's a very diligent Bible student now. They host Bible studies at their house. It just it blew my mind when someone said, hey, do you know John got converted? I said, What? No, 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 that, yeah, that, that, he, he got converted. I was like, wow, man, God could do anything. And so, and it was through watching another Christian suffer. That's how it happened. And sometimes that's uh, the, one of the best, most convincing things. We could give them all the arguments. We could, you know, use the best logic. We could show verse upon verse, which we should do. But sometimes that's not enough. Sometimes people just need to see something supernatural. I need to see God work in our lives. And not just that, we need to believe deeper as well. And there's another, it goes deeper. Let's look at verse 4. Verse 4 in John chapter 11. And when Jesus heard that, this is when he initially heard that Lazarus, Lazarus was sick, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but, unto, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. You know, you might go through circumstances and you're wondering, God, is this to kill me? Is this to take me out? I'm this is so difficult. I, are you trying to, are you allowing my, my, my spirit, my hope to be just crushed out of me? And God is saying, this trial is not unto death, but it's for the glory of God. That the glory of God might be revealed. And so other people need to believe. You need to believe. And God's glory needs to be revealed. God will deliver. The Bible says that he will deliver. No temptation has taken you, but such as is coming to man. But God is faithful, who will not try you above that which you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of what, friends? A way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So the bottom line is, if you're praying for something, a, a relationship, a marriage, a healing, financial situation, and God is not answering, you have to understand that it's quite possible because God is actually trying to do something better. Better than what you're praying for. That's why the delay is happening. I have personal experience with this. Um, as many of you know, I'll share it again. Um, many years ago, my grandmother died from autoimmune hepatitis. Years later, my mom died from autoimmune hepatitis. Months after that, I found out I had autoimmune hepatitis. And you know, it was a real trial. When I found that, that news out, it was a real trial because I knew that if I didn't do something different, 
that someone was going to be carrying my casket. I carried grandma's casket, I carried mom's casket, and someone's going to be carrying mine if I didn't do something about it. Uh, the liver's not a good organ to have go bad. I can't just take it out. And I prayed. I really prayed. And it didn't just go away. The trial didn't just go away, friends. But through the process, we learned how to reverse autoimmune diseases. We wrote a book about how we did it. We started our, our website, reverseautoimmune.com. And every month, thousands of people are coming to the website. Uh, this last month, uh, almost 4,000 people came to reverseautoimmune.com. And we're getting testimonies from people who are putting our, this protocol into practice and are actually reversing their autoimmune diseases and their, and their autoimmune conditions. And so, um, you know, it was confusing for me why God didn't allow me to be healed at the time. But I didn't realize God was actually preparing to do something better. He wanted me to gain an experience that was going to turn around and bless a lot of other people. Now, I just want to share two quick caveats why this could possibly not be the case. Why the delay to your prayer could not be because God's doing something better. Two reasons. Number one, because someone else's free will is involved. Can God force you to do things? He, he won't. He won't. It's against the principle of love, right? It's to force, to compel. And so if someone else's free will is involved, that sometimes takes time. God is powerful. I've seen God do mighty things, like my uh, uh, uncle that I refer to who eventually received Christ. God could change people. But it just can't happen like that. You understand? Second reason. It's because you might be doing things to counter your own prayers. I, Jennifer and I, we, we talk to a lot of sick people, and uh, some people we speak to are very sick. And we suggest some things that have proven to help people in their situation. Little lifestyle changes, and sometimes not so little lifestyle changes. And you know, some people are very happy. Oh, thank you so much. Some people are unwilling to do it. And I think to myself, wouldn't you do anything? I mean, they, they tell me these horror stories about these what they suffer, and I just think, just a, a slight dietary change, wouldn't you be willing to do that? Some people are not willing to do it. So we could be doing things to counter our own prayers. But I think for the most part, for the consecrated Christian, when you're experiencing delay, why? My entrance of prayers are because God is preparing to do something better than what I'm praying for. That's happiness belief number four. All right, on to number five, happiness belief number five. Before I get into it, um, just a little context. Um, my wife and I, we have our own business, our own online business, and um, so I really wanted to learn about uh, how to uh, run a business really well, so I followed a lot of people online who had a lot of advice about how to do online marketing and things like that, and I heard a really interesting tip, a really interesting marketing tip, and it goes like this. It says, every person is actually two people. There's the person they are, and there's the person they want to be. And you market to that second person, the person they want to be. I want to be 20 pounds slimmer. I, I want more muscles. I, I want to have more money. I, I would love to travel. I'm sick of living in this crummy town. You get it? Every person is really two people. There's all something that you know, we would like to improve about ourselves or our situation. And the fact is, the majority of people, friends, are not totally happy with their circumstances. The majority of us are not. And it steals a lot of our joy. The time we spend thinking about, man, how come they're in that car, I'm in, the, I'm in this car. How come they have this and I have this? It steals a lot of our joy. Happiness belief number five speaks to this. And happiness belief number five is, I am exactly where I need to be right now to correct the issues that got me here. Amen. I'll say that one more time. 
I am exactly where I need to be right now to correct the issues that got me here. It's not a popular happiness belief, but it's so true. I've seen it in my own life. Let's see this from Scripture. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Job. Job chapter 5, verse 17. I trust you're there. Behold, happy is the man whom God does what? Correcteth, corrects. Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. Let's read verse 18 as well. For he maketh sore and bindeth up. He woundeth and his hands make whole. Such a powerful Bible verse. Happy is the man whom God corrects. Corrects. Why? Because God, man breaks down just to break down. God always breaks down to build back up. God always broke, uh, breaks so he can heal, so he can make something better. You know, sometimes, uh, I learned this when we were in, working in construction, if you're doing a remodel job, sometimes buildings are so bad, you just gotta tear the thing down and start from scratch. And sometimes God has to do that with certain parts of our lives. He's, and when you're going through the tearing down process, it's painful, but we have to realize God is trying to build you back up so that you are much greater than what you were before. And the fact is, most of the circumstances that we are unhappy about are actually created by us. Now, really, there's two categories. Uh, there's uh, circumstances we got ourselves into. There's some that we had no choice in. I'll get to those. But I want to deal with that first category, the circumstances that are created by us. You know, when we realize that, you know what, I'm 20 pounds overweight because I have bad eating habits. I don't have more muscles because I don't go to the gym. I don't work out. I'm short on money because I make bad financial decisions. You're at a good place. Happy is the man whom God corrects. Because then we understand it's about character flaws. Character flaws got me here. And how do we deal with character flaws? Can Jesus deal with that? Amen. Christ is a specialist in that. First, we need to cry out to God. We need to pray to God. And I want to talk about prayer because... There's really two ways of praying, and I feel like there's a surface level of praying, and there's a deeper way of praying that most Christians miss out on. Let me give you an example. Here's the surface level. God, please help me to lose 20 pounds. That's the surface level prayer. Here's the deep prayer. God, please help me to overcome my bad eating habits. See the difference? It's very different. If you want to go even deeper, this is even better. God, please help me to say no to the donut box in the lunchroom at work. Even better, very specific. You want a really deep, good prayer? There it is right there. Surface level, God, please help me to get more muscles. Deeper, God, please help me to have the discipline to exercise. Even deeper, God, please help me to get outside and lift weights after work today. Even better, surface level, God, please help me to make more money. Deeper, God, please help me to overcome my bad spending habits. Even deeper, God, please help me to stop buying those useless energy drinks. Amen? You get it? So we realize that we just don't need to pray for uh, the things we want, but we need to pray for the reasons that God is there in the first place. And when you realize God is allowing you to be in your current circumstances to correct the very character flaws that got you there in the first place, you actually realize something beautiful. I am exactly where I need to be. Literally, there's no better place on planet Earth for you to be than where exactly where you are right now. It's exactly where I need to be to overcome this thing that's keeping me from being where I want to be. Isn't that beautiful? When I realized this, I was like, I'm where I need to be. This is awesome. Wow, this is incredible. 
And so, very liberating when you understand and realize that. Now, there are bad circumstances that are out of our control. We all realize this. We, we, in the Bible, we have many examples. We think of Joseph getting sold into slavery. was out of his control. Daniel getting shipped off to Babylon because his people had turned from God. So, obviously, things that they... Circumstances that were bad, that were out of their control, they were subject to. What do you do with these? What do you do with these situations? How can you apply this to, the, to these situations? Romans 8, 28. And we know, the Bible says, that how many things, friends? All, all. all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. What an incredible promise. This is, a, this is a happiness promise right here. If you truly believe this, that all things, once you put your life in the life of Christ, once you put your will in God's will, whatever comes to you, whatever happens to you, it's for your good. It's for the good of those around you. It's, it could just remarkably transform the way we look at things. And so God may allow you to be in bad circumstances that you didn't create, but nonetheless will still work to your advantage to the purification of your character. It'll still work for your good. First of all, there could be, it could be for the salvation of those around you. We look at the early church period, especially the second church period, uh, characterized by the church of uh, Smyrna. This is the church got, that got thrown into the Roman Colosseums with gladiators and wild beasts, the great persecuted church. God allowed that to happen to Christians. That wasn't God... You know, taking a break and, oh, no, things fell apart. You know, God was there the whole time. He saw that. Why? Friends, God allows Christians to suffer to make more Christians. Did you know that? It's so true. You just look at Christian history. You look at the scripture. You can't avoid that. God will deliver. He will deliver. But he, will, he may allow Christians to suffer to make more Christians. And you know what? The true Christian will be willing to suffer to advance God's kingdom. The true Christian the one who's not in it for the, the man from heaven, the one who's not in it for, you know, to follow around the guy who can make bread come out of thin air, the one who's in it because they love Jesus, they're committed to his cause, they'll be willing to suffer to it if it advances God's kingdom. And lastly, friends, when you're, the goal of your life is to be like Jesus, all the sufferings that lead to character growth will be meaningful to you. I don't want to paint it in too pretty a picture. It's, not, it's never going to feel good. Suffering is suffering because it's suffering, right? It hurts. It won't ever feel good. But you can go through it with a peace that there's meaning here. This is working to my advantage. This is helping me. I need this. And so what's your goal? You know, a lot of people are trying to make a heaven out of hell. They're trying to make heaven out of planet Earth right here. And they're, they're, they're doing something that's totally futile. But if you love God, if you're obsessed with Him, and just the goal of your life is to be like Him, then any suffering that uh, contributes to that goal, you're going to welcome. You'll say, it doesn't feel good, but I know it is good, and it won't last forever. Happiness belief number five. I'm exactly where I need to be right now to correct the issues that got me here. Beautiful. All right, our last happiness belief number six. I love this one. I like all of them, but this one's really good. My value is based on what Jesus did for me, not on what I do for others. Especially in today's society, we humans get in the trap of judging our value based on what we do, who we are. But you know, doesn't society condition us to be this way? The pretty girls get asked on more dates than the girls that aren't so pretty, right? 
The guys who are good at sports, they get more attention, they get more praise than the skinny, nerdy guys, right? The people who make more money get more respect than the people who don't make more money. Am I telling the truth? That's the way it is. This is, this is life. This is high school. This is college. This is, your, this is the way it is in the career world. And from childhood, we get these silent messages sent to us that, listen, if, if you want praise, if you want acceptance, you have to perform. You've got to be somebody. Even if you're not that person, you have to at least pretend to be somebody. And so we spend most of our lives pretending to be someone that we're not to get acceptance and praise from people who really don't care about us. How's that sound? What a recipe for disaster, friends. We even spend our life trying to get praise and acceptance from people who don't have the capacity to even appreciate you, don't even have the capacity to love you. What an exercise of futility. What a waste, gigantic waste of time. And, and it's an absolute trap. And this is why sports stars, musicians, models, we think they should be so happy. They're some of the most miserable people. And um, one of uh, my first serious girlfriend was actually a runway model. And I got to go to some of uh, her events and stuff like that. And a lot of those girls are miserable. They're not, she was not even a very happy girl herself. And the people who are on the magazines, oh, I wish I could look like that. Look at her hair. Look at him. Look at his, you know, muscles bulging out of everywhere. A lot of those people that we idolize aren't even happy themselves. And you know what? Because like sports stars, sometimes they make the basket, sometimes they don't. And the musicians, sometimes they write a hit song, sometimes the whole album bombs. And as soon as the, they miss the basket or the album bombs, what goes down with it? Their value, all their happiness, because they based it on who they are, what they do. As I was putting this together, a really cool story came to me that I remember from a pastor who pastored the church that I went to growing up. He was traveling, and he was on a plane, and this is back in the late 80s, early 90s, and he walked by someone who he thought, that guy looks familiar, and he realized it was Daryl Strawberry. Now, if any of you followed baseball in the late 80s, early 90s, you know who Daryl Strawberry was. If you don't, just realize that he was a very, very well-known baseball star. Sitting there, first class, Daryl Strawberry. And he's like, whoa, that's Daryl Strawberry. And so he goes and he sits in his seat and he's thinking about it. And he goes, man, my son's going to be really upset at me if I leave this flight without getting his autograph. So he gets out, I don't know, some piece of paper. And he, he goes up to him and he says, uh, hey, Mr. Strawberry, I was wondering, can I get your autograph? And Daryl Strawberry was notorious for being a really crotchety person. He didn't like people talking to him. He, everyone knew he was on cocaine. He was a cocaine addict. And Daryl Strawberry's like, fine, give me that. And he signed it. There you go. And that's just how he was. He was a very, really not happy guy, despite all, his, uh, all of his success. And so um, the, uh, the man who was a pastor, he went back to his seat, and he started feeling convicted. He goes, there's Daryl Strawberry. I just asked for his autograph. Here I am, I'm a pastor. And I asked for this guy's autograph. Like, shouldn't I be trying to, instead of getting his autograph, sharing with him who Christ is? And so he decided to do something really bold. He was like, I gotta go back. So he went back and he knelt down. Dale Strawberry's sitting there in first class, all miserable. And he said, uh, <clears throat> uh, Mr. Strawberry, I, I got something else to ask you. Oh, what? And he said, um, you know how when you hit a home run, all the people cheer? I said, yeah. And you know how when you like make an error or strike out, people boo? He goes, yeah. Because, well, Jesus loves you whether you hit a home run or whether you make an error. And he just looked at him, like, who is this guy? And he thought, really? He goes, yeah. 
Jesus loves you whether you hit a home run or whether you make an error. They said, well, that's pretty cool. And he said, you know, I'd like to talk to you more about Jesus, but, you know, I have to get to my seat. The flight's about to take off. I was wondering if I could send a Bible to you. And Daryl Strawberry said, I would like that. Let me give you my address. He gave him an address. And a pastor friend went back home, sent a Bible to the address. A few months later, he hears in the news, Daryl Strawberry kicks cocaine and becomes a Christian. And he's wondering, could it have been because maybe I had some part in that. You know, he had no direct link, but, you know, it made him feel good. that Maybe I was a part of that, you know? How awesome. And, you know, that's what gets our hearts. It's, Jesus loves you not because of how you look, not because of how you perform. He loves you because you're his child. He created you. You're his creation. You know, I, as I thought about this, I was reminded by a passage in the Spirit of Prophecy. I have to read it. It's incredible. Desire of Ages, page 330. It says, In the heart of Christ, where reigned perfect harmony with God, there was perfect peace. And now it goes on to explain, how did Christ have perfect peace? Listen, friends. He was never elated by applause, nor dejected by censure or disappointment. Amid the greatest opposition and the most cruel treatment, he was still of good courage. Incredible. I read that. I remember the first time I read that, I'm like, Jesus is incredible. This blows me away. Nobody is like this. Nobody is like this. Jesus is something else, man. That that's, that's, just blows my mind. Who is like that? You know how Christ was like that? It's because he knew where his value came from. His value wasn't in the worthless applause of men who applause you one second and boo you the next second based on your performance. His value didn't, wasn't diminished because they called him names or treated him bad. His value came from the Father. He knew that. And so when people applauded him, whatever, you know what? That's, that's, you know, I know my value isn't, I don't need that applause. My value's not based on it. When they told him he was, you know, worthless, I know it's not true. I, he just was solid. He was so solid. And that's how I want to be friends. And the Bible tells us where you get your value from. Please turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Book of 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with what? The precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. What was the price tag on you, according to this Bible verse? A million dollars? Ten million dollars? A hundred trillion dollars? You were not redeemed with corruptible things, the Bible says. The blood of Jesus was your price tag, friends. You know how much it costs to just save one of you sitting out there today? The death of the Son of God, the blood, the spilt blood of Jesus on the cross. That's how much you cost. So when you're tempted, friends, to uh, feel like a nobody, you look at the cross of Jesus. You look at him hanging there. You look at him bleeding up there. And you realize that is where my value is from. When you're tempted to feel worthless because maybe you're not performing good at work or maybe you don't look like you used to, you look at the cross of Jesus, friends, and there you can find your value. Praise Jesus. Happiness belief number six. My value isn't based on what, isn't based on what I do for anyone, but it's based on what Jesus did for me. That's where your value comes from. So in summary, happiness belief number four, 
My unanswered prayers are because God is preparing to do something better than what I'm praying for. Happiness belief number five, I'm exactly where I need to be right now to correct the issues that got me here. Happiness belief number six, my value is based on what Jesus did for me, not what I do for anybody. If you really bring those, drag those into your heart, you're going to be a happier person. I guarantee it. Now, what do you do when you're tempted? You know, we hear this message and maybe we're like, I feel this is good stuff. I feel inspired by it. But then you go out and you start living life, right? And you get tempted. What, ha- what do you do when you're tempted to feel like a victim? What do you do when you're tempted to feel sorry for yourself? When you're tempted to feel like God doesn't, answer, doesn't hear your prayers because, man, I've been praying this prayer for years. Or you're tempted to feel unhappy about your circumstances. I would like to give you something very precious. It's a formula for victory that the Lord has led me through through many years. Here we go. First, cry out to God. And I'm going to go over this a few times. Then choose. You choose to be happy. Even if you don't feel happy, choose to be happy. Just say it. Second, admit, I can't. And third, claim a Bible verse. So cry, choose, I can't, claim a Bible verse. And let me give it to you in the form of a prayer. I, I, this is the exact prayer I say when I'm tempted to feel any of these things. Dear God, I cry out to you. I choose to be happy, but I can't do it, but you can. And then I quote a Bible verse. God, I cry out to you. I choose to be happy. I can't do it, but you can. And the Bible verse that I've been really enjoying claiming lately is, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. God has been delivering me from feeling like a victim, from feeling like all these things through this very formula. This is righteousness by faith and practical examples, what I'm sharing with you right here. Cry, choose, admit you can't, God can, and you claim that Bible verse, friends, and you get up and you move forward. Now I'd like to uh, close with revisiting that happiness belief number one, I'm not a victim. What if you were? What if something just literally happened to you and you were a victim? We could think of situations like childhood abuse, uh, if you were mugged, regularized, rape, all these things. How do you say I'm not a victim in a situation like that? Yet we know at the same time, if you want to heal, you have to get out of victim mentality. You have to get out of saying, believing that I'm a victim. That will keep you in perpetual wounds. So what do you do? The fact is we've all been a victim of something, some worse than others. How do you get out of this, friends? You have to realize someone was a victim for you. Somebody became a victim for you. Isaiah 53 verse 3 says, And with his stripes, we are healed. With his stripes, we are healed. Do you know what the Bible says? You know what happened on the cross? On a spiritual level, Jesus was experiencing your victimhood on the cross. Why was he doing that? It's so he could in turn turn around and give you his healed experience, his healthy experience. It's it's what's called the, the great exchange. He says, I'll take your sin and I'll give you my righteousness. I'll take your guilt and I'm going to give you my innocence. I'll take your hurt and I'm going to give you my peace. Does that sound like a good deal? Praise Jesus. And all because, do we deserve that? Do we do something to merit that? Nothing. Because of his love for us, because we're his creation. And when we do that, when we accept that great exchange, you know what the Bible says? It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new what? He's a new creature. Behold, all things are passed away and all things are become new. You are no longer a victim. 
Why? Because your victimhood died on the cross so that Jesus, in a spiritual level, could give you his healing, his peace. Something supernatural, friends. It's something that happens on a spiritual level that Christ offers for each person. And I've talked to people who've experienced, I mean, I went through some rough things in my childhood, but I, I talked to some people and I'm just like, man, I, would, I don't know if I would have made it, you know, to 25 if I went through what you went through. And because they went through this process, they talk about it as if it happened to somebody else. It's only because God, the power of God, they went through the great exchange. And this is really the same process of salvation. We have to acknowledge, I am a broken sinner. We have to confess our sins, friends. We have to be honest. We have to ask God to be our Lord, ask Him to be the Lord of our life. Surrender your life to Him completely and believe that He gives you a new life and you will be a new creature. That's the way of salvation. And you know, this is the foundation of the three angels' message because if you don't have this experience, there is no way you can... You cannot keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. There's no way you can do that without this as the foundation. So as we close, I'd like to make an appeal. My first appeal is, is there anyone here today that wants to accept Jesus again? Meaning you accepted him before, but today you want to renew that decision. You want to renew, you want to go through that again. This is something, we don't just get converted once and then I'm good forever. This is a decision we have to make continually because it's a relationship. Is there anybody here that wants to say today, I choose to give God my life. I accept him as my Lord and Savior. Raise your hand if that's your decision. You want to accept God again. There's God. I have a second appeal. Is there anybody in here who would like to accept Jesus for the first time? You've never made that decision. You've never surrendered your heart to God. Maybe you've been familiar with God. You've heard about him. But you have never 100% said, I accept Jesus. I want to live life with him now. That's your decision. If there's anybody here, I want to give you the opportunity to just raise your hand. If there's anyone here that wants to accept Jesus for the first time, praise God. Anyone else who wants to accept Jesus for the first time, wants to invite him to be the Lord of their lives, now and forever. Praise God. Praise God. It's a beautiful process, the, the great exchange. I'll take your guilt and I'll give you my peace. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.